Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Matt Tebby. Matt has been a coach, communicator, and consultant for over six years with churches throughout North America. He co-founded Gravity Leadership and is currently planning a church, The Table Indy, in, you guessed it, the northeast suburbs of Indianapolis. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here, Scott. Matt, you are uh, an Anglican pastor, rector. What do you call yourself? Yeah, pastor. I mean, technically, I'm a reverend, and and some people call me. Nobody calls me father, but you could call me father. But we were it's an adjective that no one is a reverend. They are reverend. Thank you. It's like that's like the honorable. Like thank you. It's an it's an it's it's not not it's not a status. No, it's a description. It's an an adjective. Okay, so I'm a reverend father. But we refer to ourselves, I refer to myself as just a pastor. Can I call you Holy Daddy? You can call H-G. me Big Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Like <laughs> Ab- Abram goes to Abraham. It's like Big Daddy. Um, so, and you run a discipleship ministry. Yeah, kind of. I mean, discipleship is sort of scorched earth right now because there's a lot of <laughs> prevailing, I don't know, some derogatory sort of notions about discipleship. It's called gravity leadership, and we train people in postures and practices of Jesus leading like him. So one of our one of our just uh, passions is to help people lead in the way of Jesus rather than in the way of uh, corporate America or uh, one. So So if people execute you in 3 years you did the job right. <laughs> I'm going on 5 so I'm still trying to get the job done right. Yeah, you're not leading like Jesus. <laughs> I know, <laughs> there right? you go. I mean and you have people seemingly like you, you have a lot of <laughs> Facebook friends and stuff. You're like it seems like you're not leading in the way of Jesus. All right, well let's like do the practice of one of the things Jesus did, which is interpreting text. Mm. Here we got interesting lectionary text this week. The first one, Genesis 1. I mean, here we have a short reading where we one Genesis 1 verses 1 through 5, where we get the beginning of the whole thing, creation. Yeah. And we've got the spirit hovering over the waters as the earth is formless and void and darkness is covering the face of the deep. Yeah. I, I think how you... So, Scott, I'm interested in what you think about creation ex nihilo versus creation bringing order to chaos. Like, where are you at with it? What's, what's going on here? What's the tovu avohu? Is it, is it nothing or is it something that's not ordered? So I think that good theology leads to bad or no theme parks. So <laughs> I want to go to the Creation Museum and the Noah's Ark Museum so bad because <laughs> that sounds so fun. But no, I mean, I think it, it's interesting because I think... Schleiermacher in in the Christian faith says that actually this is not a properly theological point. It's something for metaphysicians and philosophers because he thinks that no one's actual Christian experience is shaped by creation ex nihilo. He thinks providence, like some, is is at the heart of everything. You know, Christology, create everything. In the sense that creation has a rhyme and a rhythm to it, like, and it's not and things aren't accidental. So. Like, I'm sympathetic to that, although I do think uh, the reason the, tra- the tradition went to ex nihilo stuff, out of nothing, makes sense to me. Mm. 
But it's funny because Aquinas says, you know, about Aristotle, he's like, well, the philosopher is wrong on this point, but we can forgive him because if you didn't have the Bible, eternal creation would totally make sense. But, you know, we have the Bible, so, and he didn't. So we have, we have this point, you know, where he didn't. So, yeah. Those are all my thoughts on the topic. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's interesting how the lectionary holds this together with Mark 1 and how uh, we'll get to Mark 1 in a, in a bit. But I think if you take, if you take, the interpretation of Genesis one that what what God is doing here is He's showing His mastery or His dominance over you know the ancient Near Eastern gods and He's bringing them He's instead of you know you got to hold Genesis one in concert with the other texts about creation. I want to hear you say that like Mark Driscoll God is dominant man He's a dominant <laughs> put God your, put your fist out you got to shout Dominion Dominion there you go headbutt the guy next to you uh, dude next to you. Unless he's living in his mom's basement and then uh, you kick his ass. Uh, no, so you, you, uh, I, I think there's a, I think it's interesting because I think what's happening is there's, there's a cosmic sort of, uh, there's, there's God is, is showing a sovereignty over the evil forces and powers that predominated the ancient generation, Eastern imagination here. And so I, I think there's a sense in which you see the same thing happening in Mark one. So there's this interesting parallel of, of how there's a cosmic, struggle a new a new age has begun in genesis 1 and in mark 1 that i think makes theologically interesting point if you if you're willing to hold bringing chaos into order as an wait this is the point where the people from the society of biblical literature chime in and say you shouldn't read these texts together it does violence to the text (laughs) i'm i'm a theological interpretation guy all the way though me too me too yeah yeah and i think i mean the I, I think you're right. And you compare this to like the Enuma Elish where what, like the creation comes because, um, Marduk slays, um, Kang- Kangu and Tiamat or whatever. And yeah. Out of the violence, they don't have control over the violence. And sort of the, they kind of, you know, creation kind of is accidental, liter- literally. It's, it's then, the fallout and, of violence. I mean, it literally yeah. is like, it is accidental, but it's also, it's like the nuclear, it's like Chernobyl. It's like, oh, okay, now we have humans because we were idiots and hurt each other. So this seems like the opposite of that, where creation is purposeful and out of the superabundance of love. Yes. Tender, love me sweet, never let me go. You have made my life complete and we said enough about that. Let's go to the book of Acts. Now, this is like where I say, like, you know, I, I know, I know, like, um, it, it, this guy I know who said, um, somebody asked him, actually, why are you Presbyterian? And he said, well, it's because the church government of heaven, elders around the throne. <laughs> I was like, and he said that without cynicism. Or like, but this is actually the only text in the New Testament I think really mentions Presbyterians because they say, um, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, we have not even heard that there's a Holy <laughs> <laughs> Those are your Presbyterian, early Presbyterian believers. The Presbyterian. What? There it is. What is that? There it is. We've the, not even heard that the there's a Holy original Spirit. frozen right here. Yeah. Yeah, man. What do you think is the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism? What, what do you think mm. is the difference? Uh, Paul seems to think there's a, there's a uh, life it or can't death be wa- difference. It can't be water. Yeah, it can't be water. Yeah, I mean, it's inter- it's interesting because I think you you have the sense in which uh, maybe John, it, you know, some connection to the Qumran community, some like 
20th century biblical scholarship says maybe, you know, John's family, Jesus' family, who knows. But there is this sense of like a kind of renewal uh, there and and you know, the Judaism of its day knew that this kind of corporate confessions, individual confessions of sin. Um so there there does seem to be this kind of making ready for something different. And and you have the sense that like it, it, John, it's been a while since there's been a prophet in the land. Yes. And John looks like, I mean, it's interesting if you, if your imagination was nursed on these stories of these prophets, which you no longer see, and maybe there's a sort of sham prophet every here and there. They're like, this guy actually looks like the people we read about in the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, again, we'll get to Mark's gospel. Mark's really clear. Hey, this guy looks like Elijah. This guy looks like Elisha. Just in his, he gives, I don't know. You know, 50 Greek words to describe his appearance and where he's living and what he's eating. It's important. I, I'm struck by, uh, Jesus, Jesus says in Acts, or uh, Paul says, uh, in Acts gospel here that Jesus' baptism is distinct from Paul. And one of the ways it is, is that, uh, Paul says Jesus' baptism is distinct from John's. There's too many, too many, uh, four and five letter names here. That John's is a, basically a preparation. It's getting ready to receive something. And Jesus is that for which you're preparing. So there's almost like John's baptism is like the, the washing, like the, 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 the washings that Judaism had as a preparation, as a ceremony of, of getting ready to receive something. But Jesus's baptism is distinct from that washing. Uh, it's almost like there's getting ready for the bridegroom and then consummating the marriage i don't know i don't know there's one's a preparation and one's a reception i think that's exactly right and i think two things you know paul's paul's all in his book the first christian said something that after i read it i thought why haven't i read this before but i don't think i have he says you know john's like first century kind of second temple apocalyptic judaism preaching was not yet but soon Mm -hmm. and jesus changes the not yet but soon to already and not yet. <laughs> so there's room to be a pilgrim. There's a room for being on the way. There's, you know, the kingdom is not just future, it's here. And yet it's always a mixed bag here, but yet it's really present. And so I think that's that's there. And also, and I, I think everywhere else in the scripture where the spirit comes, it comes and goes. Like it yes. comes like like with Saul or somebody, you know, like- it's Occasional and temporary. Saul among, two among the prophets. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. And where- with Jesus, it comes and rests. It's not occasional. And, and and I think all the miracles that Jesus does, he doesn't do them because he's the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. He does them in the power of the third person. He's a man full of the Spirit. Yes. And so, and the promise is that our, like in our baptism, I think, our union with him, we have a share of that uh, new kind of abiding presence of the Spirit. I think that's important. I think that one of the fundamental distinctions between John and Jesus's baptism is John's baptism is getting an old people ready uh, in an old system for for something that's new, and Jesus's baptism is the inauguration of a new creation. This is why Genesis one and Mark one are held together uh, theologically and thematically. That there's actually something new that's happening. There's a dawn of a new creation that's going on. In this, so the fundamental one of the fundamental distinctions between John and Jesus's baptism is John's baptism was getting an, uh, the people of Israel ready for something new, and Jesus's baptism was the new thing. So there was a sense in which the Spirit was recre- hovering over Jesus, bringing the locus of new creation into a person, and and then in the the ministry of the New Testament Church, that new creation is refounding the world. 
So in Acts 19, you know, there's this, there's this movement in Acts from uh, preaching the gospel to Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, Acts 19 is this taking the gospel into Ephesus. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in Ephesus, we're, we're getting to the world. We're, we're past Samaria. And, <laughs> and there's 12 people, right? 12 people who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Ephesus. So we see almost this reconstituting the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles in Gentile territory. So th- there's this new creation that's rippling out um, into the entire world in, in the person and work of the Holy Spirit as embodied in Jesus. I think that's, I think that's really important. Let's go right to the gospel because the gospel, because I think you're right with the rippling effect. And you see that it begins in creation, right? Like, I, I feel like the Bible sort of be, like Genesis 1 through 11 and the end of, and the end of Revelation are both like the cosmic bookends. And yeah, then it gets really it's particular. <laughs> and yeah. then like, and actually there's a narrowing, narrowing, narrowing in the Old Testament until it gets to the person and work of Jesus. And then it expands out again to the, towards the cosmic. So like you start cosmic, you winnow down to Jesus. Jesus is the most particular point and you go cosmic again. Yes. So yeah. we go from creation to baptism. Here we go. Here's the ultimate catechism question. Matt TV asking you, why was Jesus baptized? In fact, I saw someone asking this on your Facebook page this morning. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, to fulfill all righteousness. Scott, haven't you read, haven't you read your scriptures? I have. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, th- I think you can answer this in a number of ways. The, the one that's interesting, the, the, the several that are most interesting to me have to do with the prophetic drama of what baptism was and has to do with how forgiveness of sins isn't just an individual sort of existential reality, like cleanse me from my moral guilt, but forgiveness of sins is a, a placeholder or a description that encompasses a creation and a people longing for home, longing for new creation and, and, and enduring in exile, right? So those are two things. Uh, and then I guess a third thing would be like, there's solidarity here. So I think the, in the baptism of Jesus, we see how deep and wide the incarnation goes. Because Jesus is willing to assume not only uh, our physical bodies, but he's willing to assume solidarity with sinners in, in a way that he allows himself to be bound to the same covenant as them and, and, and enter into their, the curse of the covenant, uh, the, 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 you know, the righteousness here means like, I'm going to be faithful to the covenant as a human, as, as fully human as possible. So those are, I guess, three areas that I think interest me when we talk about why was Jesus baptized. What do you think? I like that deep and wide. There's a song, right? Deep and wide, <laughs> yeah. deep and wide. Um, you know, I've been reading uh, for like an occasional podcast series I do with my friend Bill. Uh, like one of our occasional like series topics has been a brief theology and outline. We've been putting Robert Jensen in conversation with Brian Garrish. They both wrote short dogmatic sketches. And Garrish's like dogmatics and outline is, is brilliant. And it's like, I think like 30 theses or something in each chapter um, 
unpacks a thesis statement. And thesis seven, which is the first thesis thesis statement in part two, which is redemption, the distinctive affirmation of Christian faith. He says, it's called estrangement. And he says, estrangement from the creator may as mistrust be guiltless, but as defiance to the creator, it is sin, which arises from inborn egocentrism and the collective pressures of society, infects a person's entire existence with self-interest and makes the self powerless to achieve the purpose of its creation without redemption. And he basically says here that, that Jesus comes to heal a lot of things that aren't guilt-inducing. Although, and he does heal guilt-inducing, guilt-related things too. But there are often people that, you know, I believe help my unbelief or, you know, like weariness. Yeah. You know, yeah. Bru- so he says, so he says no, we can do, we can do one, one of two things. things. Expand, expand our dogmatic concept of sin or the route I'm taking. Expand, expand the problem to something like estrangement from the creator. Yes. Which includes sin. Um, where you're victimizing others or yourself or the creator, but also includes being victimized. Uh, yeah. Just the, fr- the fragile, you know, faltering reality in which we live. And I think that, that Jesus baptism is a yes uh, to solidarity with all of that. Um, there's something that Benedict XVI says too in his, in his wonderful book. Um, it's a book series, actually, Jesus of Nazareth. And Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's the, the best, best stuff on Jesus, Jesus I think, I, I've, I've read. read. I mean, the, the, the best, best single kind of thing I would recommend for, for if, if I had to say, hey, what's, what's your, the best, best sort of introduction to the Gospels? I think yeah, I would say that. I concur. He, he says, it's not easy to decode the sense of this enigmatic-sounding answer, right, to fulfill our righteousness. Hmm. At any rate, the Greek word for now, arti, implies a certain reservation. This is a specific temporary situation that calls for, for a specific way of acting. Yeah. The key to interpreting Jesus answers how we understand the word righteousness. The whole of righteousness must be fulfilled in Jesus world. Righteousness is man's answer to the Torah acceptance to the whole of God's will, the bearing of the yoke of God's kingdom Mm. as one formulation had it. There is no provision for John's baptism in the Torah, but this reply of Jesus is his way of acknowledging as an expression of an unrestricted yes to God's will as an obedient acceptance of his yoke. Selah. I like that. Amen. Of course, as good biblical exegetes, we have to uh, admit that that phrase doesn't occur in Mark's gospel, right? So in Mark's gospel, even though we get that in this uh, other gospels to fulfill all righteousness, here, uh, Jesus just kind of appears quickly on the scene after uh, John basically says he's going to be yeah, mark mark doesn't give us the director's cut no like he's he's given us the you know this is the this is the the, the blockbuster version we're getting the highlights yeah yeah uh, what what strikes me about this is that we get the same imagery from genesis one we get the spirit we get the water we get creation i believe we get new creation the dawn of new creation and i th- i think there is a uh there's this beautiful like john confessing that he's not He's not worthy to untie the strap, right? Which is like a, a turn of phrase that means uh, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to serve this man. And then Jesus submits to John and John gets to perform this washing on Jesus, which gives us an indication of the kind of messiahship Jesus is coming to bring and the kind of leadership that Jesus will embody, uh, the kind of authority, how his authority works. But, uh, what strikes me is that there's, there isn't, there's a dawn here. There's an undoing of something that happens. And we, I, I think it's a, you know, uh, Chet Myers in his commentary, uh, Binding the Strong Man. Are you familiar with that? 
I do. Yeah, I am. Yeah. It's awesome. He talks about how this is a cosmic battle. Jesus's baptism is sort of the the first salvo in a cosmic battle where uh, the old order passes away and and the new creation. So so Jesus's baptism is a declaration of his resistance to the established orders and systems of the world. He renounces sort of the world order, not only religious but also uh, the dark, evil, cosmic, and and is and then and then is immediately confronted by the leader of of the fallen world, right? In the world of the Sacrament's baptism, and I, I, that just opens up so many doors in my imagination of of the significance, the meaning, the depth of what's happening. Yeah, and I think you know it's interesting because I think it's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, right? And I think everybody talks about the 95 Theses, but I think the real jewel of Luther is the Heidelberg disputation where he writes about the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory and the the theology of glory being sort of human aggrandizement um and he says you know a, the- a theology of the cross is is about abasement and doesn't have to make reality what it's not like it can it can handle the reality of what's there i mean and so it's in- so i think the baptism the link between the baptism and the cross I mean, Jesus, the sign of Jonah, you know, destroy this temple, go show us a sign, you know, like, I'm yeah. like the only thing I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Um, and, you know, Benedict points this out. I didn't realize this, but he says the Eastern church has developed and deepened this understanding of Jesus' baptism in her liturgy and her theology of icons. She sees a deep connection between the content of the Feast of Epiphany, the heavenly voice proclaiming Jesus to be the son of God for the East. Epiphany is the day of the baptism and Easter. She sees Jesus remark to John, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, Matthew 3.15, as the anticipation of his prayer to the Father in Gethsemane, my Father, not as I will, but thou wilt, Matthew 26.39. The liturgical hymns for January 3rd correspond to those for Wednesday and Holy Week. The hymns for January 4th to those for Holy Thursday. The hymns for January 5th to those for Good Friday and Holy Saturday. Hmm. That's amazing. I mean, I don't don't want to be Eastern Orthodox. It's a lot of standing, and there's other things, but I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean... Uh, you know, and my relationship with Mother Russia is different than most Eastern Orthodoxes too. But I would say, I would say that. Are you Russian? Uh, no, man. But uh, man, a lot. My, of, wife, my wife lived in Moscow for two years. She like speaks Russian. Is she Eastern Orthodox? No. Uh, okay. All right. All right. I didn't <laughs> no. know that. Uh, uh, no, I think there's a pre-capitulation of the cross here, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's a, there's this sense in which Jesus is fully identifying with sinners, and you know, it's hard for us, I think, to understand sin as the this larger category of estrangement you were talking about before but estrangement from god from ourselves from creation and from others is is one way to begin to understand what this estrangement does and sin is part of that right so uh that jesus assumes and and stands in solidarity with us and goes down to the place of sinners right goes down to the depths of the jordan river which symbolizes this boundary between the wilderness and the promised land fully enters and then comes up out of it. Here's this declaration, this voice from heaven. The heavens are rent. God speaks. Prophecy is, is refounded in the, in the, in Israel and, and the voice speaks of sonship and pleasure, right? Speaks of res- relationship and representation. And I, I think there's also then there's the sense that Jesus is vindicated in his baptism by the voice from heaven. And and then gives us a, a picture of what our vindication and our righteousness will look like as well as we you know come into solidarity with him or are re 
founded in him in relationship with God, each other, ourselves, and creation. Amen. Um, I think that th- thing you said about identifying with us, I, the, one of the best sermons I ever heard was preached by a Presbyterian, a PCUSA pastor, board member of Princess Emory, John Galloway. And I remember he, it was on um, a text. It was on Mary Magdalene, right? And, and in Luke, Mary Magdalene gets introduced right, pretty close to a prostitute who Jesus also has a liberative experience with, right? And then Mary Magdalene gets identified oftentimes in the tradition as a prostitute, right? And, and a lot of feminists get up in arms and other critical scholars. This, in, in the sermon, he said, you know, I imagine Mary Magdalene meeting that prostitute in heaven and saying, ah, I've, always, I've been waiting to meet you. It's been such an honor to be identified with you. And I just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm tearing up as I remember hearing the sermon preach. But I mean, that's the beauty of the baptism of Jesus. I feel like it's saying at your leastness, your lastness, your lostness, right? When you feel like you're not enough, you don't measure up, that the things done to you will never get undone. Uh, and the things you've done can never be forgiven. He's saying, I, it's an honor to stand with you. Or, or, you know, it's like that, that, that old joke, that old story where like, a guy is, is finds himself in this ditch and a doctor walks by and he says, doctor, help me. I'm down in this ditch. And the doctor writes a prescription and throws it down in the ditch. Mm. And, and then a priest goes by and he says, father, help me. I fall in this ditch. I can't get out. And the priest writes a prayer and throws it in the ditch. And his friend comes by and he says, help me out, friend. I'm in the ditch. And his, his friend jumps in the ditch. He says, what are, now we're both in the ditch. He's like, yeah, but I've been in it before and I know the way out. It's beautiful. And this, and this is, I mean, this is the revelation of the Messiah, right? So this is the long awaited Messiah being revealed to Israel. We don't know if it's public in Mark's gospel. It's public in other gospels. And, and there's this sense in which the way that Jesus conquers and reigns is through solidarity, right? And it's Amen. just beautiful. Like Jesus's power is most fully expressed in his sacrificial solid, like his, the solidarity of his love that he'd, he'd, he'd rather Stand in solidarity with people um, that that com- are completely helpless, than overwhelm or overthrow or overpower those people in a distinction. Right. So he is refounding creation and uh, undoing estrangement at the very root, at the very heart of what's wrong. It's just beautiful. Matt, thanks for doing this. Anytime. And blessings in your preaching and to all those listening. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to Matt for being on the podcast, and thanks to you for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.